Here we go. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Deep Cover Podcast. It's been a minute, maybe more like four years season. I just want to look at it. But uh, we're back. We're back. You know, we 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 couldn't we couldn't leave y'all. Uh, we had to come back and get together, uh, form like Voltron. So I'm back with Carrie Stevenson, Chris Aguilera, and uh, you know, before I get into you know all the different topics and kind of the layout, what's going on with you guys? How you been? Good man, good. I can't complain, man. Happy to you know put this back together. I feel like we can bring something you know special and different to the landscape so it's just good to, to link back up and um, you know get this thing going yeah i'm glad i'm glad we got the band back together again it's been a whole season but we're back together and um i'm excited to see what we got in store for everybody yeah and seeing what people don't know is although you know we just did that one episode and then we uh we 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 took i guess what they call in the business a hiatus um we took a hiatus from recording but we were still interacting with each other. Matter of fact, we had our little three man DFS league. And one good thing about the season being over, um, obviously, as Ravens fans, none of us like the way that it actually ended. But good thing for me is I don't have y'all taking my money no more. So I'm glad <laughs> that that part of it is over the DFS season, because now I found that I got a few more dollars in my pocket. And uh, that's never a bad thing. <laughs> and for, the, for the people listening, for the people listening, when he says y'all, he means carry. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, Kerry did us wrong, yo. I'm just gonna put that, I'm gonna put that out there right now. Kerry yeah. just did us dirty. He just did us dirty. Just taking our money. Uh, you know, we ain't gonna get into the specifics. You know, a gentleman never never tells. But uh, yeah, he ain't have to take our money like that, Chris. Yeah. That 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 went right. Yeah, he yeah. did us like he did us like Uncle Phil in the pool hall. <laughs> straight hustling us, straight hustling us, us, right? Or like that, uh, what, y'all see that tweet the other day? What was it, that lady? I don't remember what it was from. I think she's an actor. She was like, hide y'all money, y'all. The poor people come out. Yeah. <laughs> I could just picture him. All my money in his hand. <laughs> Here come the poor people. <laughs> we just kept giving it to him. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we still, you know, uh, interacted throughout the season. Not just with DFS, but just, you know, talking about the Ravens talking about games and how the season went. And, uh, you know, we're not going to rehash all that. We might mix it in some, you know, as, as we go. But I think what we all kind of agreed on to talk about um, as we come back together this time is kind of some all-season stuff. Uh, obviously, the Combine just took place. Um, free agency is just a couple of weeks away. Um, so there's a lot of topics to talk about there. And um, let's um, – I know we we you know me I, we 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 have like outline and structure and everything and I'm I'm like the worst person at trying to stick to that and here I go right off the top jumping jumping off of it already <laughs> but just it happened just because it just happened I wanted to start with the combine and then just give each of you uh, uh I'm I'm gonna throw it to Carrie first but give give both of you just a, a blank slate on your overall thoughts about the combine. What stood out to you? Just you know, take it anywhere you want to go. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you let you uh, start us off, Kerry. Okay. Well, I think the first thing that that kind of jumped out to me, um, and uh, kind of in the trenches, um, a lot of the the D linemen, you know, look good to me. You know, specifically um, uh, Neville Gallimore. He's a guy I'm kind of you know gravitating to, and for him. Um, you saw kind of on tape that 
that short area quickness, um, you know, a guy that I felt like always had a plan, had the plus hand used, kind of that upfield penetrating type guy. But I mean, four eight in the forty is not what I expected to see from you know a a, a guy like that. You know, I, I'm looking at him more as a um, you know, kind of leverage guy, get up underneath you. Like I say again, upfield penetrator. But you know, this guy is showing some real legitimate athleticism. You know, that was impressive to me. You know, obviously uh, Isaiah Simmons just going out there and just um, you know, taking people money. Um, kind of like I was doing in DFS. But this, this, <laughs> I mean, four three nine at that at that weight. Come on, man, it's just. Pulled a Dion, right? Yeah, Ran the yep. time, and it was like, that's it. I'm done. It's a wrap. Yeah, you won't get a second run from me. I'm out of here. And it's the, the smart move when you look at what happened to Queen and, and Murray. Yeah, yeah, there you go. For real, for real, man. I thought, I didn't know what was going on. You know, every you, you always see, you know, some guys um, throughout the combine kind of, you know, pull up a little bit. Um, during or, or right at the end of their 40. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but it happens. Obviously, these guys have been training after, this, you know, they, they've played the whole college football season. They've done all-star games. Some of them now they're training. And so, you know, those those kinds of injuries are probably inevitable. But I don't know that I, I've seen two guys uh, in, a, in a group, the, the high-profile guys, um, sort of have that happen to them. But fortunately, all the reports said there's nothing – that's a significant or serious for either guy and, and, and that they should be fine. But yeah, no, Isaiah Simmons, man, he was like, look, that's it, buddy. And no, there ain't going to be another 40. going to be no field workouts. Um, four, three, nine. Right. Almost like, like Dion used to say back in, back in the day, right. If you was picking below a certain number, certain pick, why, why, why do we even yeah. need to talk? Why do I need well, to talk? Cause I'm not going to be there with you. I, 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 I there when you... But yeah, no, that was that was uh, that was wild. What about you, Chris? Man, what, what, and what just, just to bounce off that, the, those two guys getting hurt kind of like opened the door a little bit for like Willie Gates coming uh, coming out party because he just oh, blew man, the whole combine yeah. up. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I mean, four four six, <laughs> four four six plus his jumps, agility drills at two forty. I know, man. I know. He he was a guy who I had watched and um you know, you could see those you could see that movement ability, you could see that explosiveness when you watch him. I mean, um sometimes, you know, it may not always be where it's supposed to be, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, his gap integrity or, or you know, drop in and kind of having a feel for what's going on in the passing game. But uh, you know, he was going hundred miles an hour, you know. And so you hear coaches talk about that all the time, like, look, if you're going to make mistakes, make them going 100 miles an hour. And he, he, he was going 100 miles an hour uh, when I watched him. So, uh, But I, I did not expect that. And he's a guy with some some off-field issues uh, I saw uh, when I was doing some background work on him. I know he got suspended for punching a teammate in the face. Mm. And uh, he also got in trouble for cheating on a chemistry test, which I can't, I can't blame him for that. Nah, I mean, look, you know. Man, trying to do what he got to do, you know what I'm saying? Chemistry. Hey, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, you know. So, you know, Willie's just like, look, man, I'm 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 just trying to get some help out here. Now, to punch in the teammate, that's tough, you know. I mean, obviously, you know, fights and stuff happen within the team, and they probably happen a lot more than we realize, right? A lot of stuff don't get reported unless it really is something that blows up. Um, almost like my man Tipper, you know, my man Tipper, he has some stuff. <laughs> 
to the, uh, he had the answer for it. I mean, he didn't even get to run or work out uh, because of some of his off the field issues. But uh, uh, Chris, I know we we talked about his where uh, he had got into it with some co-eds, uh, guys, you know, not not women, but uh, some other guys, some other students on campus, and uh, you know, it was kind of a bad look there for him. So. Um, you know, that all field stuff is something that teams have to vet and really dig into. Uh, but, you know, for us as, as fans and analysts or whatever, we, we don't really have that access. And so we don't know. And I don't want to speculate on. Yeah, you know, we just happens. see we just see the tip of the iceberg with some of these guys. And even even teams get fooled sometimes. So it's like for us to even like try to speculate on certain things, it, it would just be a waste of time. Exactly. Exactly. For me, I'll just throw this in there. Um, and it really it really piggybacks on where Kerry started us off at. And you, too, Chris, the defensive line, like you guys say, I mean, we talking about defensive tackles, man, running in the low fives and under. I Going back to Gallimore, um, I heard uh, somewhere or read somewhere Lincoln Riley say they they clocked him at a four, seven, nine at OU at over 300 pounds. And a lot of times when you hear that stuff, you know, well, that's a coach. And of course, the coach is, is going to pump up their guys. But then when he went out and did it on his second run, I was like, OK, <laughs> that wasn't no hype. That wasn't no pump up. That that was legit. Uh, he was just spreading the facts. Uh, so you had, you know, obviously a bunch of a bunch of big, big men running fast. And then the same thing on the offensive line. Man, you had some some big dudes out there. Makai Becton. That might have been. I mean, four, three, four, three, nine from Simmons is crazy. But but Becton's might be right up there for a man that size to run what he ran. <laughs> yeah. That might be right up there in terms of, you know, most most kind of impressive accomplishments. Um, so you 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 got some real athletic dudes on the offensive line and the defensive line who um, who look to go early in this draft. Hey, Chris and I talked about that earlier. It's going to be interesting, man, in terms of the kind of player that might be able to fall to the Ravens, because there's there's a lot of good players that are going to come off the board that, you know, you can't help but think, you know, are going to push some other guys down. Yeah, and it's it's it was weird this year because when do you ever see the defensive line group outshine the the linebacker group? Because that's what it felt like. It felt yeah, like absolutely. it felt like all of those edge guys they were kind of, they were a little bit disappointing, but then these defensive linemen like the like the Davis twins, Carlos mm-hmm. and Khalil, running mm-hmm. four seven at three hundred plus pounds, four eight. It's like that's that's unheard of. And these, these guys were just doing it, you know, like like it was nothing. No, nah, that's a good point, man. You're right. I, I they definitely uh, I think I, I agree with you on that. Outshined the linebackers and well, at least and some of the edge guys um, specifically, not necessarily some of the off the ball linebackers, but the edge guys for sure. I mean, it, it's just the Davis twins. We talked about Gallimore, Blacklock, Matabuke. I mean, he's just rolling through these defensive tackles. And um, I guess it is just a reflection of, of of what plays in college right now. I mean, everybody knows the college game is more spread out and, and more about trying to match speed and space. But apparently that's happening along the line, too. It's not just at the skill positions. You got to have guys on the line who can run, uh, you know, and penetrate and get upfield and, and move in space, too. And, and I think you're seeing that with these 300 pound dudes who can really move. So, you know, the combine obviously is cool every year. There's, it's, there's always somebody, a uh, group of, or a group of people. Um, you know, I think we all kind of saw that with Miles Boykin last year who kind of just blow up and you're like, man, I did not see that coming. Um, 
and you know, I guess maybe we get another Notre Dame receiver, Chase Claypool, this year, right? Another guy who was at the Senior Bowl, and and by all accounts had a good Senior Bowl, but I did not see four four five uh, coming <laughs> from from another two hundred thirty eight pound Duke who is now you know getting getting the getting the Darren Waller talk, right? We need to move this dude to tight end, um, or or just just kind of that that matchup player. Um, I was having that conversation with somebody that. I don't know that I would even get too bogged down in what you call it, right? Call him a tight end, call him a wide receiver, call him whatever you want. But if, you know, you've got a guy that's that big and that fast, then just move him, you know, just move him around the formation, align him all over the formation, get the matchup that you want and force the defense to deal with him, you know? So do you have to come out and say, oh, we're going to move him to tight end? I'm going to say, hey, man, we're going to teach you all these positions. We're going to teach you wide receiver. We're going to teach you some tight end stuff. You might have your hand in the ground. You might be flexed out. We just want to use you all over the place, man, and just create matchups. So I don't I, I've been a big fan of this positionless football idea for a number of years. Like just just teach guys roles. Right. What do you need yep. them to do on the field? Don't worry about what to call. them. Do you need them to drop? Do you need them to cover? Do you need them to rush? You know, just let's just just teach them roles and then just let them go out and fill those roles. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it's like the, let's not overcomplicate it. Just. Like what the what the Saints did with um, damn, who's the big receiver that was from uh, I think like Hofstra or something like that. Oh yeah, damn. the dude. Uh, yeah, they're uh, they dude from back in the day. Dang, what is it? Yeah, name? his name is slipping. Um, I know oh, he's uh, Colston. Yeah, go. Marcus Colston. There we go. Yeah. Um, like him, they would put him in the slot mostly, like put him in advantageous situations in order to to win on the field. Yeah, even like, even even when they had Jimmy Graham during that same time, because you can remember, right, right. When, it was, when it was time for him to get paid, it was, is he a wide receiver? Is he a tight end? You know, because yep. obviously he was going to make more money at wide receiver. But I wonder if internally with the Saints, if that was even like a conversation, if they're just like, look, man, Jimmy is a stud. We just going to line Jimmy up wherever we can to get the matchup that we want. We ain't going to worry about what to call him. Um, <laughs> we're just going to move him and get that matchup. And uh, and work whoever is out there, um, because more than likely they're going to put somebody out there who can't cover. Uh, yep. And so, you know, we, we just going to work that. So that's just something like just philosophically that I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of into more and more is just, you know, let's, let's not get caught up on, on labeling a guy in terms of a position. I mean, you got to call him something. I understand that. But um, I'm more I'm more into what can they do all the different types of things that they can do and this is kind of you know I'm, I'm certainly not a professional but i'm gonna try to segue right here because <laughs> it kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of a guy like matt judon right matt matt can do a little bit of everything matt can rush matt can cover matt can play the run when you need to play the run he's another one of those guys who you know yeah you, you're going to give him position and say he's a sand linebacker in their defense but he does you know a little bit of everything and I don't have the numbers in front of me because um, I got into this thing on Twitter and, and we, somebody else pulled them up from like PFF or somewhere. But in terms of a guy at that position, that outside linebacker slash edge, whatever you want to call it, position, there weren't many other guys in the league who dropped into coverage as much as he did uh, and then did those other things as well. Rushed the quarterback and played the run. So it kind of made him kind of a unique comparable. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a Ravens fan, you know that. Um, you know, they're trying to work out a long term deal. There's talk about putting the franchise tag on him. But he, he, he's an interesting guy to try to find comparables for uh, to me because of just how much he drops into coverage. Um, 
you know, when you look at guys at other guys around the league, kind of in that outside linebacker position, maybe, um, you know, there was a couple other guys that did it, you know, close to as much as he did, or maybe one or two guys that did it a little bit more, but um, they didn't have the same sack production that he has. So he, he's a unique, unique guy uh, in that sense to me, but I wanted to just use that to kind of open the door for this Matt Judon conversation. I'll let either one of you guys, you know, take, take it and, and, and see where we want to go. Yeah, yeah, but so oh, go ahead, Gary. Yeah, I was gonna say you hit on it with the versatility, but then I think what takes it to another level is typically guys that are as versatile as he he is aren't as productive as pass rushers as he is. Um, now, the argument and kind of you know what we're gonna run into is is he a pure pass rusher worthy of 16 to 18 million a year. Maybe not, but as a whole, his flexibility, what that allows you to do, what number do you put on that? And that's the question that, you know, Eric DaCosta and the Ravens are going to be asking themselves is, okay, you know, how much value do we put on a guy that can do all these things, but, is also able to rush effectively enough that, you know, we can feel good about him on third down as well. Now, is he going to go out there and just, you know, whip a guy, you know, for four quarters and as a edge rusher, you know, probably not. Um, but, you know, there has to be a meeting in the minds as far as, where that number is going to come in at and, you know, what they feel comfortable paying him and kind of comparing that to, you know, what's available um, outside of that in free agency, what's available in a draft. And then, you know, just kind of, it's just an interesting, um, you know, situation that they're in. And it's one of the most fascinating parts this offseason for me is, is determining what his value is. And I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately, his value is what whatever the highest bidder is willing to pay. So, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see if the Ravens are willing to be that, that highest bidder. What do you think about it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm along the same lines as you guys. Um, that, that versatility is, like you said, that's hard to replicate. And I remember when we spoke about this, we were talking about how many guys would it take to fill – that production, if you can even feel it, because I don't, because you're going to have a drop off somewhere. It's either going to be in the run game. It's either going to be pressure. It's going to be dropping back in coverage. There's going to be a drop off somewhere. It may be in all three phases, because are you going to find a guy that could rush the passer better than Judon? Are you going to find a guy that could play the run better than Judon? Are you going to find a guy that knows the system better than Judon? That's for sure or no. And that's another thing that gets left out, too, is the, the chemistry side of it. This is a complicated defense, as we know when we saw Earl Thomas come in earlier this season. He had a rough time those those first few games. And as the season went on, you saw him get more comfortable. But that just shows you how difficult this defense is to, to understand. And it's just it's like in the it's it's like a living organism, the defense. It's not just, hey, you do this, you do that. It's you know, you gotta move and flow. You gotta know like where everybody's at on the field and you got to do your job too, but you also have to be cognizant of what everyone else is doing. And it's like, that's, that takes a lot of time. And that's, that's something that 
whoever they bring in to try to replace that, they're not going to have that that same advantage that Judon has. Definitely not. And that's, that's a very underrated point. But as you, you know, so so clearly pointed out, all you got to go back. All you got to do is go back and look at those first couple of games on defense. Right. Now, I mean, the Miami game was what it was. But Arizona, Kansas City, the first Cleveland game. Go back and look at how the defense played in that game. And, you know, then ask yourself, well, is it just a plug and play kind of deal? Right. Can we just put anybody in there? And the defense is just going to roll. I mean, we saw that 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 is not how it works uh, in this system. So uh, you definitely got to have guys who understand, um, you know, the ins and outs of the scheme and, and what their specific roles are. And, you know, you you said it, so I'm, I'm not going to belabor it. But, you know, it's almost like you have to understand the entire scheme, not just your role, because you have to know what the guy next to you is doing. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think early on, what I saw with them is you had guys trying to do too much. Right. right. And I, I don't know if that was a trust thing because there were some some new guys or at least younger guys who hadn't had, you know, as many snaps now getting a bigger snap load. And so other people felt like, well, I need to try to cover up, you know, because they're not going to be where they're supposed to be or or um, if if it was in the game and they weren't where they were supposed to be and somebody else, well, I got to go and cover that up. And it's just a domino effect, you know, when you start doing that. Um, and we, we saw some of the, the issues that they had. It's amazing what they were able to do on the fly um, with some veteran, you know, street free agents to come in and, you know, really plug up some of those leaks and then just really turn it around and become, um, you know, a top five defense, you know, going, going forward through the rest of the season. So, um I don't know, man. Big, big credit to Wink. Big credit to Eric for being able to get those guys and Wink to be able to fit them into the scheme. And one of those other guys, this is not a guy that they brought in. This is a guy who they've drafted. Um, Michael Pierce. Right. So he's another guy uh, who's in a, in, a, in a free agent posture mm-hmm. with Judon. But it's a little bit different. Right. Because Michael Pierce is predominantly known as a run stopper, you know, kind of a first, second down type player, short yardage type player. And. The market for him, obviously, is very different than a market for a pass rusher. And so the Ravens really have to kind of look at that and say, well, look, this guy is probably going to um, you know, maybe outprice himself a little bit. Uh, again, the market is for, for a defensive tackle, a run-stopping defensive tackle is not going to be the same as a pass rusher. But he still has an opportunity to go out and and make a, a you know, to, to, to earn a pretty good contract. And so you got to look at. Um, you know, Brandon Williams still being there. You got to look at, you know, rookie they drafted last year and Dalen Mack and ask yourself, do you think with a bigger snap load, maybe he can pull up some of the slack? We just talked about these defensive tackles in, at the combine. You know, is there a guy there who maybe we think could come in and, and help, um, you know, kind of pick up that? So, well, you guys, I've, 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 I'm learning how to do this host thing. So let me start with this. <laughs> Just don't throw it out to two people. Let me start with Chris first on this one. What do you think about Michael Pierce, man, and his situation and, and kind of what the what the market might be and if the Ravens can can afford to, to, to be in that market? So I'm just I'm looking at the numbers right now and I'm looking at uh, Brandon Williams contract. So when he signed us uh, a few years ago, it was a five year, 52 million dollar contract. Hmm. So you would have to think that it's going to be in that area, you know, since this was since this was actually a few years ago. Um, now, as far as replacing him, that's the part that I'm I'm still kind of I'm not sure of right now, because 
I don't know if they want to have those two because having Williams and Pierce allowed them to do a lot of exotic things that that a lot of other defense can't do because you don't have two high caliber defensive tackles that could just plug up the middle of the of the field like that. So I don't know if they want to to go that direction again or if they maybe want to have more of an attacking guy next to Brandon Williams. And that's where we talk about these, you know, these combine freaks that are they're not the two third of the three thirty, the you know, three forty guys. Guys like Neville Gallimore, they're three hundred pounds. Um, I know uh Black Justin Blacklock, I mean um no, what's his name? Ross. Uh, Ross, Ross Blacklock. I know he's like two ninety five. So mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe they want to, you know, sacrifice, you know, having that bigger guy next to Brandon Williams and have more of an attacking presence on the line, something that they haven't had in a long time. So it's it'll be interesting to see what which way they go with that. What do you think, Kerry, um, about Pierce's situation and and what the market might look like for him and and what what the Ravens, you know, may what the Ravens can can do if if they're not able to uh, retain him. For me, with Pierce, he's one of those guys where I would honestly not be surprised if the Ravens could get him back on a value contract. I also wouldn't be surprised if he went somewhere else for you know a deal in the range of what Chris was just talking about, nine ten million a year. Um, you know, he's that impactful in the running game and in the passing game, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, maybe he's not going to get all the way to the quarterback, but he can collapse that pocket and create some opportunities for other people. So, you know, for me, it's about if they can get him back on a value deal, then great. But if it starts to kind of trend towards that, nine million a year, 10 million a year in that range, I think they kind of have to, you know, let him go ahead and, and, and find that money elsewhere because, you know, you got guys coming down the line that are must pay guys. So, you know, you kind of have to be careful when you got, you know, Marlon Humphrey, you have to pay Ronnie Stanley, you have to pay, you know, it's, it's only but so many guys you can pay top of the market money to. So uh, I think they have a good track record of, of finding uh, late round undrafted free agents at, at that defensive tackle position. Um, I look at a guy like um, Demata Pecco, who played very well as a street free agent. There's somebody they can bring back, I think, for, you know, a pretty modest cost. Uh, Dale and Matt, we talked about a guy they drafted last year uh, who has a skill set in that range with Pierce. You know, if if they can get, you know, him into a, a situation where he's, you know, in shape and, you know, they can work on his hand use a little bit more. I can definitely see him as a guy that can eat some snaps um, up, you know, next year. And like Chris was saying, this is one of those drafts. You got these freaks at defensive tackle, these upfield penetrators. And, you know, that's been a position that's been lacking, you know, for the Ravens. I think they definitely um, 
I definitely see them dipping into that market at some point during the draft, getting one of these guys that can um, go in there on third down and, and contribute in that way. Um, it makes me think of a guy like, um, I don't know if you guys remember, and he may be even still in the league, um, Tom Johnson, backup defensive tackle for uh, Vikings, Minnesota. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's one of them guys, kind of undersized defensive tackle, um, didn't play a lot early in downs, but this is a guy that was coming off the bench, giving you five, six sacks, it seemed like a season. And, you know, obviously they would be aiming higher in the draft as far as, you know, a guy's long-term potential. But if you can add a guy that, you know, bring him in on third down that he just, and you know, he's just getting up field quick and, you know, wearing offensive guards out, you know, I think that's uh, that's something they need to look towards, um, you know, adding. Yeah, I agree. I um, I think we we kind of all three are, are tracking uh, the same way on that type of of player, right? Whether they add it through the draft, which that's that's kind of where I'm leaning because we we talked about so many of those guys there. Um, is that more penetrating style at defensive tackle? You know, nothing against Brandon Williams, nothing against Michael Pierce. Um, they certainly can push the pocket and get some penetration at times, but. You know, kind of looking at that guy who um, this goes back a couple of years and, and it didn't it didn't work out for him here. But Timmy Jernigan. Right. I think Timmy Jernigan was that mm. that that yeah. style. Right. A one right. gap penetrating style. And that's why I think going to Eagle going to the Eagles um, was a perfect fit for him. Right. Because that's 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 their scheme under their D.C. is. And he's talked about it all the time. We're going to play the run on the way to the quarterback. We just go get upfield and rush. And, you know, we worry about the run along the way. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see uh, that style player um, in, in the Ravens defense. Um, you saw it a little bit when they brought in um, and now his name is escaping me too, uh, Jahal Ward. Right. He's not a defensive tackle. Right. He's 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 more of a of an end type player. because I think he's about 285, 290, whatever. But they would use him at that three technique, which is typically, right. you know, one gap penetrating type type of type of role. Um, and he has some effectiveness in there. Um, I'd like to, he's a guy I'd like to see uh, that they that they bring back because I think he's he's a good rotational player and, and was effective. But, man, I would love to see one of these young defensive tackles, some of the names we've already thrown around, come in and, and have a chance to develop in that role. But um, and before, that's something DaCosta oh, said, too. That's something uh, DaCosta said, too, in his uh, in his interview at the Combine is, you know, they want to build a defense that can protect the lead and go after the quarterback. And I feel when you when you look across that defensive line, there aren't a lot of a lot of physical physical freaks on that on that line that could just, you know, go hunt. And, you know, obviously it's it's you know, there's more to it than just being a physical freak. But when you look at a guy like Neville Gallimore, he could bring like he could bring that aspect of the game where, you know, he could flush a, a, a QB out of the pocket with that interior pressure. That's a good point. I do. I do remember DaCosta's point about that, that, you know, based on what they did this past season on offense, you know, and, and you never know how it's going to go in, into the following season. But you expect the offense still to perform at a high level. And so you expect to be playing with the lead in some right. games. And when he said that, I know other people have talked about this, too. It probably shows my age a little bit. But when he said that, the image that came into my mind was those old Colts defenses. Right. When Peyton Manning was mm. in. Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, you know, screaming off the edge yep. <laughs> because when they get up, 
and they get that lead and team teams are forced to get one dimensional, you know, you need guys who can who can get after the quarterback. And I know I mentioned guys who were coming off the edge, but, um, you know, getting a guy who can who can add that pressure from the interior, too, because, um, you know, you hear a lot of uh, a lot of players and coaches talk about quarterbacks. You know, they don't want pressure in their face. Right. Pressure coming off the edge. You can you can deal with it. Right. If you if you if you've got a tackle that can at least buy you some time and kind of run that guy behind the pocket, you can you can step up and slide and still still look to complete the pass. But if you got pressure up in your face and you got guys, you know, on the edge, there's nowhere to go. Um, So I I definitely think that would be something uh, that could really take this defense in in a direction that we haven't seen it in a while. I mean, you'd have to go back. Right. We were talking a loading out of days and stuff like that. to, to think about having that kind of presence on the inside. But one thing that, that, that you guys both mentioned, um, as much as, you know, you, you want to keep some of these guys and, and we all understand, you know, what Pierce's value has been to the team. There are other guys who are going to command big paydays. These are, you know, with Pierce, we're kind of speculating what we think the market is going to be. Ronnie Stanley, they don't need to speculate. <laughs> up the truck. <laughs> And, you know, open the doors, both doors, the double doors, yeah. uh, because obviously he's one of the top young left tackles in the league. And we know uh, that those guys get paid. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, I mean, you, 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 I'll start out with Kerry this time and um, you don't have to, to throw out a specific number if that's not something, you know, that you thought about or have an idea on. But if you if you've got numbers, you can definitely do that. But what do you what do you think, man? What's it what's it going to look like? Uh, to to extend Ronnie. Obviously, they're going to extend Ronnie. You're not, we're not, I don't think we we're even talking about that guy not being here. But what, what's that contract going to look like? Yeah, so I'm looking at um, kind of the rumors over the last couple of days. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw this. I think maybe two days ago, uh, there was some talk of Jack Conkling um, going to the Jets and, you know, talking about, you know, 16 to 18 million a year. Mm. And then I think maybe the next day um, there's a report that Laramie Tunsil was looking for 19 to 20 million <laughs> per year on his new deal. Oh, Lordy. So I'm look. I'm if I'm Ronnie Stanley, I'm like I'm not touching a contract until those two contracts get signed. Yep. And then whatever they ask, give me some more. <laughs> <laughs> What do you and think, Chris, man? I, I agree. I mean, look, let them let them other guys set the market for you. And then you say, you know what? Go ahead and add some on top. Of yeah, that. man. Just kick kick his feet back and just wait. Wait for those contracts, man, because we know. Look at what happened with with uh, CJ and the Jets last year. Look at how much money they threw at him. They will do the same thing to Jack Conklin to try to protect Sam Darnold. And then uh, Laramie Tunsil, he has Houston. You know, he basically has them for ransom because they gave up everything to get him. So it's like they, we can't give away all of these picks and not sign the guy. So they have to basically give him this money. So if he's looking for, you know, 20 million a year and let's say if he gets 19, let's just say Stanley's easily getting 20 million. In my opinion. And I mean, yeah. he's worth it. I mean, he's a cornerstone guy. That's what that's what you want. When you when you pick that high, that's the kind of player that you want to develop and you want to have in your franchise for, you know, hopefully his whole career. Absolutely, man. I mean, look, they they 
Ronnie has has developed into to one of the top the top tackles, top left tackles in the league. Orlando Brown is already looking like one of the better right tackles in the league. So you got your bookends there. And, you know, it, it's all about protecting Lamar. I mean, yeah. when you have a guy like that, when you because, you know, we, we see this every year. Teams trying to find quarterbacks. It's going to happen again this year. Right. Teams trying to find that quarterback. And then when you get that guy, you've got to protect that guy. I mean, we all know what happened with Andrew Luck. You know, you can you can look back over over the years at other young QBs who show promise and who didn't have that protection, you know, in terms of offensive line talent. And, and kind of where their careers went and, and what could have been. But we, we don't we don't want to even think about what could be uh, from a negative standpoint with Lamar. We've already seen what the potential is. I mean, unanimous MVP in his second year, first full year at the start. So we, we've already seen, you know, what the potential is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and that's with that, that 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 those current tackles. Right. Uh, and so it's just one of those things, man, where with certain players at certain positions, you know, the, the, the price is going to be what it's going to be, you know, and I think Ronnie's just in that position and he's earned it, you know, he's earned it with his play. I mean, we, I think we can remember early on, I never really felt this way, but I, I think there were other people who felt that maybe he was a little injury prone and, you know, yeah, he was good, but, you know, there's always that butt in there. But I think this past year, it really, you can go back to 2018, but definitely in 2019, he just showed up and showed out, man, just just every game. And um, like I said, one of the top top guys at his position in the league and has earned, you know, whatever he's going to get. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, like you guys threw out the number, there's going to be somewhere in that 16 to 20 million a year range. That's just where it's going to be. And, um, you know, that's that's part of what this puzzle is for the Ravens front office. We already talked about Judon. We talked about Pierce. You know, and, 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 and now, you you know, a guy like Ronnie who, you know, is, is a must, is a corner, like you said, cornerstone player. So you've you got to find a way to manipulate all of these things. You know what I mean? And fortunately for them, they do have some young players, particularly on offense, right? Offense is where they, I know we we're just talking about Ronnie, but they have some some other younger players who are still on their rookie deals. Obviously, Lamar, um, you know, Hollywood, Miles Boykin, um, and I, and I wanted to kind of take us there a little bit, particularly with, with wide receiver and Miles Boykin, because I think there was, you know, I think I know you guys saw the, the story that came out over the last couple of weeks about uh, Hollywood getting a screw uh, removed from his foot. So it's crazy that the guy played the way that he played this year with screwing his foot. <laughs> It's just crazy to think about, right? One of the one of the fastest guys, fastest guys at his position coming out of the draft, and to have the year uh, that he had, I think he had what seven, eight touchdowns, um, was it six or seven hundred yards receiving, something like that. Uh, missed a few games, obviously related to that, and I think he also had an ankle injury. But to put up the kind of numbers that he did with that screw in his foot is crazy. So I think people feel good about Hollywood moving forward. Um, but people, you know, have some questions about Miles Boykin. I think just because, you know, you didn't see um, the same, you know, sort of level of production. But his he he was really different, right? His role was really different in the offense. But the question now becomes um, Seth Roberts, another free agent that we, we really didn't, didn't talk about. But um, if, you know, Seth Roberts is not back. What do we think about Miles Boykin and what his role can be for 2020? Uh, Chris, I'm going to bounce it to you this time. I mean, obviously, from a physical standpoint, you know, the talent is there, right? We all know what he did with the combine. You look at him just out on the field, you know, big guy. 
But, you know, what can we expect? Um, I think it I think it comes down to what they do in the draft as far as his playing time. I think he'll see, you know, I think he'll see way more snaps. I think he'll eat up a lot of those Seth Roberts snaps, hopefully with a, you know, second year under his belt and him having a better understanding. Um, I know that's something that we talked about before is when, you know, these these rookies come into the league, especially the wide receivers, they get so much thrown at them and there's so many small little intricate things that they that they have to understand in order to even get on the field. And um, I remember you telling me that uh, they had to kind of scale things back for him a little bit because they could tell his he was thinking a little bit too much out there. And we all know when you're thinking you're slow. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully another year we'll get to see him, you know, just a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more loose, and uh, you know, able to to show off some of those physical gifts that he had in at uh, Notre Dame. And I, I think we saw flashes of that. I mean, it it came in the in the preseason, but remember that preseason game where he just he was going off and everybody got excited. And uh, I mean, those small flashes they they count for something when it comes to confidence. And uh, that's you know we saw what happened to Perriman when he didn't have that confidence. And I, I think, you know, those small flashes, they go a long way in a player's psyche because he, he knows he can do this. And then with the coaches behind him too, because how many times did we hear the coaches talk up his blocking skills and talk up him staying in the game? Even though he didn't get a single target, he was still out there blocking his ass off in the game. And, you know, we heard that numerous times about him. You know, that goes a long way when you have your coaches behind you and, you know, you have the confidence of, of the team. So hopefully we could see we could see him take a, another step in the right direction next year. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that, man, because uh, and, and, it, and it's interesting you mentioned Perriman because we remember towards the end of Perriman's time here, the team did lose confidence in him. You remember those games where they sat him down. You know, he was a healthy and active and. You know, you can look at Miles and um, I don't know that that was ever the case. I don't know that he was ever a healthy scratch for any game this year, you know. So um, if, if they didn't have the confidence in him in that way or if they thought, hey, you know, we, we need to give somebody else an opportunity because Miles, man, I, I don't know. It's not it's not working out. They didn't do that with him. Right. And, I, and I grant again, it's, it's a different. It's not apples to apples because he was in his rookie year and. And Perriman really was kind of in his last year here and kind of like that last shot. But um, I'm going I'm to I'm hit you on this now, Kerry. What do you think? I mean, I, Eric DeCosta talked at, at the Combine, his little interview there, um, a couple times about Miles Boykin and about the step that, that players take, wide receivers take from year one to year two. Do you, do you think he can take that step? And, and what, do you, what do you think he can be in 2020? Yeah, so for me, I look at him as I think the role for him that would – make the most sense for me is kind of as that co-wide receiver three. So in a position where kind of like where, where Chris was at, where he, he eats up a lot of those Seth Roberts snaps, but you know, the way I look at it is this team is at a, at a Super Bowl level now. So I think it's kind of risky to put, all your eggs in the basket of, you know, Miles Borkin making his second year jump. Now, I, I have a lot of confidence in his ability, uh, but I think you definitely want to give yourself kind of some insurance, uh, you know, just in case he's not quite ready to make that jump. 
Um, but again, out there competing, you know, blocking, doing some of the things that he he does, um, you know, just because he's not out there catching every ball doesn't mean he's not out there making a, a positive impact on the game. You know, even in those games where you saw Seth Roberts take st- steps forward and snaps and all this, um, Boykin was still starting a lot of those games. Now, you know, at the end of the game, maybe he didn't have quite as many snaps as some of the other guys, but the fact that he was starting a lot of these games with Hollywood speaks to the confidence they have in him. Um, so he's one of the guys I'm looking at to see, you know, um, you know, just what type of steps he's, he's able to take. And, I mean, with anything, last year a lot, all these guys were coming into this for the first time. You know, just the fact that he knows what to expect this time coming into training camp is just huge. Yeah, you get a full offseason um, to do nothing but prepare yourself for the NFL season. You don't have to worry about combine training, all-star games, team workouts. You know, you don't have to do any of that. Now it can be total focus on preparing for the season. And I really think you can see that big step. They are different positions, obviously, but we saw the step that Lamar took from year one to year two. I mean, it's crazy, you know, yeah. having that full all season going into it, knowing he was going to be a starter, not having to deal with any of the stuff uh, as you're coming, you know, off of the draft into the league. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think the potential is there. Um, I think they're going to give him uh, the opportunity um, to to go out and, and, and show that and, and to earn you know, that number two, or even like you said, kind of that, that code number three. But before we move off of him and off the wide receiver position, this is a fun part. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this to you in a second, Chris. But we get to talk about um, wide receivers in the draft uh, who we think could fit, you know, what the Ravens do or or even in free agency. Um, you know, I'll throw out one or two of my favorites. And, and you know, we might have some overlap on this. But, um, you know, a guy that a couple of guys that I've liked and I'm going to start with like the dream because I don't think these people, I don't think these players are going to be available when the Ravens pick. And then I, I'll try to talk about some stuff that I think, you know, might be more realistic possibility. So for me, my, my sort of dream scenario is Henry Ruggs. You guys know, I've talked to both of you about him, the speed. I, I admit I'm, I'm, I'm a speed freak. I'm addicted to speed and I know speed is not everything. Uh, in, the, in the NFL, particularly, you know, at, at wide receiver position, it's, it's more about change in direction and how how quickly can you stop actually is, is, is probably even more important than how fast you can run in a straight line. How quickly can you stop and start? Uh, and then obviously you got to be able to catch the ball. But Henry Ruggs is just I, I think he's more than just a speed guy. I think when you go back and you watch him at Alabama, you know, you see him make some pretty impressive catches. You know, maybe maybe he's not the same route runner that his teammate Jerry Judy is. Jerry Judy, like another level, right, in terms of the route technique. But Ruggs is no, no, you know, no slouch in that department. So he he'd be the dream. Some some players that I think might be more realistic. And he, these are just like pet favorites of mine. That doesn't mean that I'm excluding anybody, but just guys who I really like. Um, anybody who's followed me on Twitter knows I love Tyler Johnson. Uh, Tyler Johnson didn't run at the combine. He did do the field drills. Take that however you want to take it and what that so Mike, could mean. Mike, yes, let me let me stop you there. So you what you're saying is they should take Tyler Johnson at 28. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to take Tyler Johnson. <laughs> it's 
funny because we were talking about that before the show. And I, <laughs> I, I always have to remember when I tweet stuff out about players that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, people people assume that uh, every player I talk about is the player that I think the Ravens should take with their first round pick. Uh, that is not the case. That is not the case. Uh, as much as I like Tyler, Tyler's, Tyler's probably not a first round grade type player. Uh, he's probably somewhere in that fourth to fifth round. Uh, maybe goes earlier. Hey, I don't want to disrespect him, man. I hope he goes as early as he can. That's money in his pocket. But probably, you know, more realistic in that fourth or fifth round. And then Brian Edwards. That's the only other guy. Well, let me finish on Tyler. Tyler, for people who don't know, uh, wide receiver out of Minnesota. Um, you can go and, and, and his background has got a really interesting story um, about, you know, where he went to high school in that area where he had an opportunity to even go to some private schools because they were going to close the high school that was actually closest to him. He had an opportunity to go to the, uh, the, the high school that Larry Fitzgerald went to. But he decided to stay at that high school that was closer to kind of where he grew up. And he basically revitalized the high school during his time there. Football team, I think they maybe won one game or two games, something like that, his freshman year. By his senior year, they're in the state championship game in football. They unfortunately don't win it. They're in the basketball championship game, and they win that. And he's on the basketball team. Uh, and just kind of really turned around the whole fortunes of, of that high school program and then gets to Minnesota and, and you know, has some really productive years. So uh, I'll stop there. I'll I'll, I'll go with uh, Ruggs and Tyler Johnson. But then, uh, Carrie, let me go to you. What do you think? It could be wide receivers in the draft. It could be somebody in free agency. Um, what do you think the Ravens might do or, or, or should do in terms of a wide receiver position? Yeah, so I'll go with a couple guys, a um, couple um, guys in the draft and then – um, you know, maybe a, a kind of sleeper free agent. Um, but first, um, and we had this conversation uh, maybe not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I finally got to watch Denzel Mims. And man, his traits pop right away. I mean, as soon as you turn it on, this guy, strong hands, it stands outside his frame. Uh, you know, he was a guy that's a lot more sudden than what I thought he was going to be. Um, got some juice after the catch. And I mean, I, I mean, I think it was the beginning of that Kansas State game. It was like back to back reps where he's like blocking this guy one play and he just bodies this corner. I mean, just, <laughs> just straight flattens him. Yeah, and then the next adult. play, he hits, hits him with a sit head state and just freezes the corner. And I'm like, man, you, you cost that guy a lot of money. I mean, I don't even know <laughs> <laughs> if the guy's a draft prospect or not, but man, those two plays alone, he cost that guy a fortune. And then, um, you know, my other uh, kind of draft guy I like is um, still like Jalen Rager. And he went out there and got smoked by um, <laughs> Ruggs. <laughs> he should never came out. He should never right. came out like that, man. Don't 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 do that against against Henry, man. Yeah. If all he had to do was watch those basketball clips uh, going around on uh, on Twitter. Or <laughs> That's enough. As soon as I see that, nah, I'm not running with him. You can forget him. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Rager is still a guy that's, that's still explosive. You know, I think he still can get behind defenses. You know, obviously had the, the vert and the broad jump that show that level of explosion. Uh, I think he's a guy that can uh, make plays at a catch point and, you know, make plays in the open field. Just another guy that can be a scheme touch um, kind of threat and screens, uh, jet sweeps, you know, things like that. Just adding another layer of that to the offense. And then um, a guy I really like as a by-low kind of candidate in free agency is uh, Rashad Higgins. Mm -hmm. Now, he had a rough 2019, you know, battled through 
that uh, knee injury. But if you watch him in 2018, man, this guy really, really flashed as a route runner, you know, good hands, uh, you know, just a playmaker. And, you know, I think he he would be a guy that would be worth, you know, a one year deal kind of ballot, you know, prove it kind of, you know, situation. You know, I think he is, a, you know, somebody that can contribute in three wide receiver sets. So, you know, um, I'm still kind of digging and, and, you know, looking, you know, down the board at some other guys. Um, um, the guy from LSU, Justin, is it Justin Jefferson? Yep. Yeah. I think he 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 really did well for himself in the combat because he came in to me as a very, very clean, you know, all around prospect. I think that he can play all over the formation. But for him to test as well as he did, you know, he really, really helped himself out. So. You know, those are kind of the, some of the guys I'm looking at. But, you know, as we get further along in the process you, and, you know, able to watch more guys, I'll be, you know, bringing more to the table with them. Now, before I ask Chris, let me go back to one of your guys, because this I don't know if we've ever had this happen in, in NFL before. So so Rashad Hollywood Higgins, have there ever been two Hollywoods <laughs> on the same team before? Oh, oh man, I didn't think about that. I don't, I don't know that that's it. I mean, there's definitely been, you know, Thomas Hollywood Henderson back the Cowboys in the day. There have been other Hollywoods. Marquis, you know, Marquise won the first Hollywood. But two Hollywoods on the same team. I don't know if that's happened before. So that would be interesting. But no, so on a serious note, I, I like Rashad Higgins. Um, obviously, we've had an opportunity to see him being Ravens fans with him playing for the Browns, um, you know, when he's been healthy. And uh, 2018, like you said, I go back to that, even 2017. Um, you know, he he's had some games uh, against the Ravens and he's a talented guy. Right. Good route runner. Um, good hands. Um, I, I've, I've been a fan of his game coming out of CSU back in the day. So, Chris, now let me turn it to you. So what do you think um, in terms of wide receivers in the draft that you like or maybe somebody in free agency or both? Um, so when it comes to the draft, a guy that I really like is, uh, is Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Um, I think he's a guy, like, I, we heard, you know, Daniel Jeremiah say it 100 times during the combine. All these teams are looking for the next Debo. All these teams are looking for the next Debo Samuel. And Brandon Ayuk, he's one of those guys who has that yak ability once he has the ball in his hands. And that's, I think that's an element that's missing from the Ravens offense right now. Because, you know, you have Hollywood who, you know, I don't blame him. He catches the ball, goes right down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we want. That Marvin Harrison life. Yeah. <laughs> but then outside Got to get to the that, car wash, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you need that that threat of a guy who could who could just, you know, out physical you and could turn those, you know, those small catches, those short yardage catches into into big gains like we saw him do at Arizona State. And then also he's he has the wingspan of a guy that's like six four too with those <laughs> 80 yeah. inch arms and then you know i think he might have disappointed a little bit with his 40 but um i mean he's he's fast enough he ran a four or five you know that's he's fast enough he's i mean he's not going to win vertically like that it's it's good his game is more short to intermediate when you have hollywood on the other side you don't really need him to be that that deep threat and uh, i think he'd be a perfect fit and another guy who i like um uh, t higgins and, you know, we didn't get to see him. He took some slack for, you know, deciding to rest during the combine instead of actually testing. But um, when you turn on the film, 
he's a guy that's, you know, it's it's really hard not to like him because he's just one. He's like, I think it was shout out to, to Slade, you know, big play receiver. I think he gave him the nickname Tree Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, friend and of the show, Slade. Friend of the show. And um, I mean, he's just, he's silky smooth. Like, he's a big guy, but he has he has really good feet for a big guy. And I think he's faster than uh, what people will give him credit for. Maybe not time speed, but on the football field, I believe he's faster than, than his time would indicate. And um, I think a big a big target like that for, for Lamar and, you know, hopefully exploiting, you know, outside the numbers because that's a, that's a spot where we didn't really see the Ravens attack last season. And I think opening that, lev- that level and, you know, that progression in Lamar's game, I think, the skies be the limit if you can if you can actually start hitting those and have a guy outside who could just you know pluck the ball out the sky and come down with those tough catches like like Higgins can. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna give some credit to to Kerry too. I'm a, I'm gonna put this out here so there's a record of it and so people uh, after it happens if if I'm wrong you know they can bang me on Twitter but I'm gonna say it right now I think T Higgins is going to run under a 4-5. I know a lot of people were saying if he was somewhere between 4-5 under 4-6, that'd be good for him. I think he could get to the high 4-4s, 4-4-7, 4-4-8, because of what Kerry said before we started recording. He's going to run at the crib. <laughs> if you run at the crib, you have some advantages, right? You, you're comfortable. you at home. And, you know, let's, let, let's just face it. Sometimes you get a little home cooking with the stopwatch. Sometimes you get a little home cooking with the length of the run. Maybe go. it's 40 39, yards. 30, 39. 39, 39 and a half. Yeah. 39 <laughs> and eight and a quarter. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, you're gonna get a little home cooking. So, you know, you 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 can you can certainly get me on Twitter uh after his pro day if he's in the four fives, but I think he's gonna break four or five. At the combine, I wasn't as confident. But now that he gets to run at the crib, I'm I'm feeling a little better about that. So, you know, and, and I I know, I know, we we we're just joking about that, but I think there is something to it, like psychologically and physically. Because I heard uh, yesterday during the combine, I heard Jamal Adams talk about, you know, just running. Because when he ran at the combine, he just said he didn't feel right. Like he, yeah. it was just, it was too much. He had interviews. He had to wait for people, and then it was just sitting around, and then he had to start stretching again and then run. He said he just didn't feel comfortable. But then when he ran it at his pro day, you know, he's home, he's comfortable. You know, it's not a bunch of waiting around or interviews. He just do what he has to do and just test and be relaxed. And, I, I mean, I think, you know, you do get those home cooking stories, but I do think there's something to to it when – psychologically you're just more relaxed and you're able yeah. your body's able to just flow and it's not so tight with that and i think we see that with a lot of these athletes that go to the combine is they're just so tight they want to do everything so perfect and it's like you know i, I gotta run this 40 perfect because the whole world is watching me and they end up kind of you know tensing up and and they'll get a slower time and you know, you see guys tweet out like, "I haven't run a four or five since high school." How did I run a four or five at the combine? <laughs> yeah. And it's like that. You tense up, and you know that pressure could get to you sometimes, especially when you know you got the whole world watching. No, that's real. That is real. I don't. I don't. I don't think. I mean, people. People can can say that you know it's not tangible. How do you prove it or whatever? But I mean, I think you can look 
at any performance craft, right? And, and whether that's athletics, whether that's entertainment, anytime that somebody has to perform, you hear people at the top of the game talk about per- performance anxiety. It happens, you know, it happens. It gets to everybody at some point. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's because it's something that's not as tangible. You know, it's not something that necessarily can be measured or can't be captured in a statistic that people kind of want to knock it. But it's a real thing. You know, I mean, look, if if things like confidence and momentum, you know, terms like that, if that stuff wasn't real, why would so many coaches and players talk about it? I mean, they all talk about it. Right. How that just changes how you play, you know, when you're confident. Uh, when you're comfortable, you know. So to me, those are definitely real things and can definitely have an impact definitely. on how on how you perform. And I'm gonna take us a little bit out of order again here too. I think it just makes sense to do it this way um, in terms of the, you know kind of the rundown we had on, on for this show. But um, let's talk about inside linebacker. You know, those we we tweeted we we talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, but I think you know when we look back at this this 2019 season. Um, we saw kind of the platoon approach right after after CJ leaves in 2018. We saw kind of how they started out early in the season with Peanut and Kenny Young. We know how that went. And I told y'all when, when Kenny Young tweeted out them photos and them white fits, them all white fits <laughs> over there. I told y'all what was going to happen. <laughs> I knew what was going to happen, unfortunately, because I like Kenny Young. So it was I, I, it was unfortunate for, for me to see that happen. But them all white fits. I knew he, he, he had spelled his own doom. Um, but it didn't work out. You know, it just didn't work out for a variety of reasons. And they ended up having to bring in Josh Bynes, you know, guy who had been here before, a veteran guy, LJ Fort, another veteran guy. Um, There's one thing that I think was really reinforced for me this year, watching their inside linebacker play and kind of what they had to do on the fly was that's one of those positions where you, you've got to be disciplined and you got to be patient. Right. Speed is great. Right. I talked about Henry Ruggs before. That's a different position wide receiver. But that inside linebacker, it gives you the opportunity to make plays if you can run. But if you're not patient and you're not disciplined in, in, in your reads and your assignments and you fly it out of places where you where you're supposed to be, you see how many plays can happen in the middle of the field if those guys aren't where they're supposed to be. Um, so obviously that that's an important it's an important thing, an important position for the Ravens. But a question and I guess. Uh, I'm starting with you this time, Chris, is could we expect to see the continuation of that platoon approach in 2020? Or, you know, as a lot of these mock drafts that have been out there, we've seen people mock Kenneth Murray. Uh, we've seen people talk about Patrick Queen, maybe in some of the later rounds. We've seen Malik Harrison, one of my guys, Logan Wilson from Wyoming, not not necessarily second round, but but later in the draft. Um or or maybe free agency, which I'll be first to admit, I've not really uh, studied the the off the ball linebacker market and free agency. But Chris, what what do you think about that? So those two questions: Will they continue to platoon it? Should they continue to platoon it, where you basically have a safety and Chuck Clark or some other safety out there with another backer, or um, you know, should they take somebody in the draft or in free agency and and try to get back to something closer to what they had with CJ in terms of kind of a full time three down type linebacker? I mean, I think, you know, for the for the 2020 season, I think it should they should platoon it uh, because it's rare that you you get a rookie who could just come in, walk through the door and, you know, be that three down, three down guy. Those are those are unicorns. You know, that rarely happens. 
So I feel like if they do take one, even if it's in the first round, I do feel like the platoon approach would be advantageous for them to bring that guy along and not just throw him into the wolves because it's it's a lot. And that 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 Mike position for the Ravens, and I don't know if they'll be playing Mike or they'll be playing Will, but it seems like they just because they, they they signed um uh what's this guy LJ Fort right yeah they extended Fort yep they extended Fort to me that's huge because he can do both he can do yeah. a little bit of both and I think that's what they want they want guys who can be interchangeable kind of like the way they have their safeties mm-hmm. they want guys who can stay on the field who can also be impact on the run and I think if when you bring in a rookie he has to learn those things you know that he's not just going to come in you know, knowing knowing what to do from day one, unless you draft a Luke Keekley, you know, and then, and you know, I don't I don't think they're going to get a Luke Luke Keekley in this draft. What you think about that, Kerry? What do you, you think about their approach to the position? I mean, obviously they had some effectiveness last year. Once once they got Bynes and they got Fort and kind of rotated those guys aside, um, you know, next to next to Chuck Clark, um, they obviously were effective that way. But do you think they? To continue with that platoon, or do you think there is a three-down guy in this in in this draft? Do you think Patrick Queen or or Kenneth Murray could be that three-down guy? Yeah, I, I'm I'm leaning towards the platoon approach um, in 2020 as well. I mean, I just look at it like, um, you know, guys that you have to pay coming up, and just looking at the positions. I feel like inside linebacker is a position where they can kind of save some money in. Um, I, I tweeted out a, um, a graphic um, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, uh, Ian Harditz with uh, Roto World um, had they did like a free agency breakdown and he was talking about linebackers in need. And he said, as of right now, um, the Ravens uh, have the second least salary um, devoted to off ball linebackers in all of um, all of the NFL. And I just look at the way they were able to find uh, the street free agents um, and, you know, uh, all the sub package that they run, I feel like they can go out there and, um, you know, hit on a mid mid round guy, you know, bring a Josh Bynes back for another year and kind of, you know, piece this thing together and, you know, again, save some money at that position and, you know, continue to lean on your sub package because you have all of these, you know, different uh, and dynamic, um, you know, guys in the secondary. And you want to lean on those guys. That's the strength of your team. And again, you know, it all comes back to salary allocation. You know, when you're trying to put a team together, you know, you can't have top of the market guys at every position. You know, it, it's impossible. That's the reason the salary cap is in place. So that's one of those ways to kind of, um, you know, save some money for some other positions is to kind of platoon it, um, you know, at the inside linebacker position, at least for 2020. And you can kind of see going forward. And then it depends on who you draft. Um, for me, I mean, I like Murray and I like Queen, but I think um, Mike, me and you had this conversation. Well, actually, all three of us, you know, kind of looking at it, those guys, at least on uh front end of their um you know ricky contracts they look like will guys to me they don't look like three down mike you know linebackers to me um so and you know 
I would rather spend a premium position, you know, premium draft capital on, you know, maybe a pass rusher or maybe a receiver if I don't feel confident that I'm drafting the guy that's a three-down light linebacker from the very jump. Yeah, I, I, I will say that I probably changed my position on this a little bit. Um, I was a huge CJ fan. Uh, and so I, I was definitely more on the side of, you know, find a guy, find your guy there. He's going to be there three downs. You know, we're not going to get into this platoon kind of thing. Now, that was opposite him. Right. They were doing that with Peanut and Kenny Young and CJ's last year and, and, and kind of rotating opposite him. But, you know, at the mic, they kind of had their guy. And I kind of was thinking about this and I may have even tweeted out a while back, like, was it a chicken or an egg thing? Because when CJ was here, he averaged over like, I think he was close to like 93, might even 95 percent of the defensive snaps while he played, like just on the field constantly all the time. And then he leaves. And then you see this, you know, kind of kind of rotation of guys. And I want to say Peanut was the guy out of that inside linebacker group. Now, keep in mind, you know, Bynes and Fort weren't here the entire season, but um, I think Peanut was the guy that had, you know, the, the the highest number of snaps out of that group. And he might have been 45, 50 percent, something like that. But his snaps really trailed off um, kind of towards the second half of the season where you saw almost um, and exclusively is not the right word because he still played. But you saw a lot more of Chuck Clark and the dime package um, out there where they wouldn't have a traditional inside linebacker body type out there. You would have. Um, you know, obviously their corners, you have Earl back and then you'd have sort of a converted hybrid corner, right? In, in Carr, who was playing a lot more safety and you had Clark. And so that's just one of my, so I've, so I've, I've, I've pivoted, right? I've kind of come around because I saw that package and how effective it was. And I said, well, look, I mean, even with the Ravens who, who run the ball a lot and, you know, obviously Seattle was another one of those teams who run the ball a lot. And we saw what Tennessee did, um, when you got a big freak like Derrick Henry back there. Um, but that can skew that can skew your perspective. Right. Because those, those are individual right. games. And so you look at those games, you say, oh, look what happened. You know, they got to have linebackers. They got to have guys who can stop the run. But if you broaden it and look over the course of the whole season, obviously the NFL is still a pass heavy league. I mean, you're going to see pass 65, probably close to 70 percent of the time. Right. Eleven personnel. It's an 11 personnel lead through our receivers and tight end. So you've got to be able to match that. And look, if you if you can find two linebackers, if you can feel two linebackers that can run, then, hey, maybe maybe, you know, you can you can play that that kind of base nickel with two inside linebackers. If you got two guys that can fly, but not a lot of teams do. And so, you know, if you look at what they did, um, I think it was really effective. And so I've kind of come around to to that platoon. You guys were already there, but I've kind of come around. My only concern is and I mentioned it to you guys before is what happens with Brandon Carr because he'll move into safety allowed Chuck Clark to play down in the box and near the line of scrimmage where I think that's really his strength. I'm not saying Chuck can't play back. I mean, he, he's a versatile dude. I think he can do both, but I think his strength is playing closer to the line of scrimmage. And then if you don't exercise Carr's option, then, you know, you're going to obviously have to have somebody else um, who, who can take some of those snaps playing back that Carr was taking. I mean, maybe, Maybe that's Deshaun Elliott. You know, as much as I like Elliott and the potential, 
obviously he's battled some injuries and, and, you know, we haven't got to see, you know, everything that he's capable of, but that's my only kind of, kind of caveat with the platoon approaches. You had a guy in car that allowed Clark to play a certain way. And if he's not back and Clark has to play back more, um, you know, now, now what do you do, you know, with that other body in the box? Um, so I don't know, but that, I, I lean more towards um, the platoon approach and, and agree with you guys. But that's that's kind of my only caveat about it. Um, and I miss CJ. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know people people were not crazy about CJ and coverage, but, you know, I thought that we talked about not arguing on Twitter earlier. And that, <laughs> that was one of the arguments I would always get sucked into because I thought he got a bad rap in coverage. He would look he wasn't perfect. I'm not saying he was perfect, but I thought he got a bad rap in coverage. But anyway, so I'm um, still yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to know because I'm I'm like I told you guys I'm way behind on the linebacker class. So I just wondered if you guys could give me you know a couple of, of prospects that you guys like uh, that could actually fit with the Ravens. You want to start, Kerry? You want me to go? Uh, yeah, I'll start. Um, I think I got it couple weeks ago, um, Malik Harrison from Ohio yes. State. Yes, sir. Uh, he's a guy that, to me, looks more like a Mike. Um, the hand usage shows up right away um, versus the run-in and press coverage. Um, he's a guy that takes efficient angles, uh, plays with edge, short tackler. Um, he's not particularly fast or agile. Well, I say that, but then he 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 really showed up at the combat and 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 ran a four six and and tested it weller than I thought. But you know he's a guy to me that's more than fast enough to play those shallow zones and play you know those underneath coverage responsibilities. And to me, he's a guy that can chip in um, on the edge as well. Um, he's a guy like that I think can set the edge and do some things um, you know as an edge defender. Um, another guy I like is um, uh, Marcus Bailey from uh, Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now he has, um, I believe he, um, believe he tore his ACL, I think, early in the season. Um, but when I watched him, I liked him. Uh, he's another guy that will use his hands. Um, lots of zone um, and sh- short area coverage responsibilities. Uh, like the way he, he tries to get his hand on, hands on receivers and, um, you know, we're trying to reroute them. I thought he was a short tackler when I watched him on film, and I thought he was uh, physical. I think he could probably use a little bit more work um, as far as uh, being able to get himself clean and, and shed. Um, but, you know, he was another guy that I, I liked, and I, um, you know, feel like he's a guy that can contribute. So uh, still got some other guys I need to watch, but those are the two that kind of uh, jump out for me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Malik Harrison. Um, you and I kind of kind of share that appreciation. I tweeted out some clips of him. Uh, love the way that he takes on blocks. I mean, he he brings some thump uh, when he takes guys on. And I treated I tweeted out some clips from the Nebraska game for the Wisconsin game, especially uh, that Wisconsin game. You got to see him, you know, really get under some guys and just lift guys up on contact, right, and kind of kind of knock them back, throw them back. Uh, so I'm a big fan of his game. And like you said, I think he ran into four sixes, I think. 
Was it in four sixes? Or was he four seven? Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, mock draftable profile right now. He ran four six six, and his his closest comp is uh, actually Tyus Bowser. Yeah, because he's almost he's almost 250 pounds, right? Yeah, two uh, two forty seven. So basically, two fifty. He's a hamburger from two fifty. Yes, that, that's a big man running four six six. That's a good six time. three. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a big boy running. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Malik Harrison. Um, I talked about Logan Wilson. I think he got a little more buzz after the combine because he he tested really well. I think he ran. Was he four five or was he four six? I think he oh, he ran he ran really well too, and and tested in in some of the areas really well. Yeah. But he ran four six three. Yeah. So there you go. Wyoming Cowboys. So a lot of a lot of people, um, you know, who aren't in that part of the country, maybe not as familiar with him. But uh, when you throw on the tape and you watch him, athletic dude moves around, uh, makes a lot of tackles, um, you know, takes on blocks. Well, uh, I keep mentioning that. I keep, that was a thing that just really stood out for me um, early in the season with Peanut and Kenny Young. Peanut was always a little bit better at it, better than I expected for a guy his size who was like. 220 pounds, 227 pounds, and he always kind of took on blocks a little better than I expected, but it's just not the same. Uh, but I think Wilson is really good in that area. Um, <clears throat> Jordan Brooks is a name people might have heard from the combine, uh, linebacker from Texas, speed guy, side to sideline type of guy, um, you know, kind of that modern day type of linebacker in the NFL guy who can run, cover, and hit. Um, and two more guys I'll mention. One guy, this is interesting because he, he didn't play this position in college, but Zach Bond uh, from Wisconsin, who was more of an edge guy uh, in their system. But, you know, I, I've heard, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and some other people say that he's probably going to be more of an off the ball linebacker um, in in, uh, in the NFL. And what he reminded me of, and this is probably not going to be a good comparable <laughs> for a lot of Ravens fans, but watching him and just his athleticism reminded me of Kamala Correct. And Correa is another one of these guys who I'm in the tank for, just like Perryman. I don't care what what people say about them. I'm never going to stop liking those dudes. <laughs> and so I think they were misused or misunderstood or just just needed more development time, probably all of that, uh, while they were here. And it didn't work out, and I'm glad they've moved on and are having some success in, in, in other spots. But Zach Bond, maybe even a little bit more athletic uh, than Correa, even though Correa was really athletic. I don't think people realize how athletic that dude was. Um, but he's not – uh, a pure edge guy. And I think that's where I see the similarity to him in, in Korea. I don't think Bond is a pure line him up outside of the tackle and let him rush a tackle uh, a bunch of times during the game. I think he's a guy who can do that at times for you. You can move him off the ball. He can play in coverage. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see that transition. I think he played inside a little bit at the senior bowl because I think that was their projection for him too, that he was going to have to move to off the ball. Uh, and so they teams wanted to see him there. And, and I think by all accounts, he had a pretty good week there. Uh, but we know that's a difficult transition. Again, you know, going back to Korea, we saw that. Right. We saw them try to try to transition him inside and it really didn't work out. So it's not an easy thing. Um, everything is different. You know, your eyes got to be different. Your reactions got to be different. You're reading different things when you're inside versus on the edge. Um, things happen faster inside. So it's not an easy transition. And then one other name, maybe two. I've said one, but I'll throw two more. Francis Bernard from Utah is a guy that I like. Um, not speed guy. You know, not 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 that sideline sideline guy per se, but um, just plays with a lot of energy. Like when you when you watch him play, like everything is just like 100 miles an hour. Right. And he's just we, Willie Gay was kind of that way, too, uh, for me out of Mississippi State, just even though Willie Gay can run. 
Uh, Franz is not quite that fast, but just aggressive, man. Just everything he did was with aggression. It, was, it reminds me of one of my, my favorite quotes from uh, Michigan's defensive coordinator, Don Brown. Solve your problems with aggression. Right. Just, just whatever you're doing, do it with aggression. And, and that's what what comes to mind when I watch Francis Bernard. And they, um, I wanted to ask you guys about this other guy, Shaq Quarterman, Shaquille. I've watched a linebacker. I watched a lot of linebackers, as you can tell. Shaquille Quarterman uh, from Miami. I'm just not quite there. I see a lot of people kind of have have, you know, some positive things to say about him. And I don't have anything negative to say, but I just it just didn't really like pop for me. I'm watching him and I'm like, yeah, he's a solid dude. But I just didn't really see, you know, maybe that athletic profile that just I personally like. Um, and then the last guy, Akeem Davis Gaither, who he he's in between. Right. I, mean, I don't think you really want to refer to him as an off the ball guy or an edge guy. He He's like that kind of college nickel Sam player, right? Where he's somewhere between a DB safety and a linebacker. Um, but you think about a guy with his kind of speed, with his kind of mobility, what Wink could do with him in his defense. We just talked about that sub package. So imagine having that guy in there next to Chuck Clark, you know, if you can if you can figure out, you know, what else you want to do on that back safety next to Earl. And you got those two guys underneath, you know, running and covering and, and blitzing and doing all those different things. Um, you know, that potential is really kind of exciting to me. So I'll cap it there. I could keep rattling off names because I've watched a bunch of linebackers because, um, you know, that that was one of the areas that I really was hoping that they would address um, in this offseason. But that, that's those those are some guys that really kind of have popped to me. So yeah, with, Dave, with Davis Gaither, he's a guy because he's actually one of the few that I've watched so far. And um, the the label that I put on him was great value. Uh, Isaiah Simmons. <laughs> hey, if you can if you can get anybody that remotely has the versatility and the athleticism that Simmons has, yeah. you don't have to pay that first round that high first round tax. And I think you're going to have to pay now. I, I don't know. I mean, I've heard different things about that. People are like, well, yeah, he's a freak athlete, but you know, you got to kind of adjust your whole defense because you got to find out where you're going to play him. And so are people going to take him high? Because I, I don't know. I'm like, you take that dude and you know, you, you do whatever you got to do on defense. But if you can find somebody, you know, with that similar profile um, and, and like you said, Chris, you, you think you see that, and Davis Gaither, then, uh, and you get it at that discounted price. Um, you know, sign me up for that. Yeah, Again, that goes back goes back to my positionless football philosophy. I mean, a guy who play off the ball, play on the edge, you know, dropping back in coverage. I mean, I, I love it uh, when you see guys with that kind of athleticism and versatility. Yeah, and I think that's something that the the defense is uh is lacking a little bit of um, when we say you know these kind of athletic freaks, especially in the middle of the field. Um, you know, these offenses, they're getting faster. You know, they're trying to take advantage of space. And you need guys that can play in space. You need guys that could, you know, run with these fast tight ends and, you know, these, you know, specialized gadget uh, running backs. And, you know, with these these new, new wave of linebackers that are coming out and, you know, running these crazy times, but then they could also thump. I think that's something that the Ravens kind of have to uh, kind of get with the times with. Absolutely. Uh, last thing I'll say on it, because um, I know I've been going on and on about linebackers, but 
as I've been charting their defense, and uh, as I told you guys before we started recording, I've been starting with third down pass plays and kind of putting them in different buckets in terms of down and distance. The Ravens like to play a lot of fire zone on third down, especially third down and seven plus. Uh, and so fire zone, the F in fire, five guys, right? They're sending five guys, uh, sometimes more, but a minimum of five guys. And then what happens is you have to drop guys into different zones. And oftentimes that guy in the middle of the field, he's that middle hook player and he's got to cover from hash to hash, you know, and sometimes a little bit outside those hashes, sometimes even from like hash to the numbers. And you've got that curl flat player out there to kind of support you. But that's a lot of space, in the middle of the field to have to cover. And like you uh-huh. said, when you've got these slot guys, when you've got these tidy ends and you've got these running backs that they're, you know, they're, they're running routes with in the middle of the field, you got to have speed. You've got to be able to run the match with those guys in the middle of the field. We saw that for the people that did kind of have some gripes about CJ and coverage. That's where it would show up when he was in the middle of the field and he had all that space that he had to cover. And he was with guys, you know, gets more athletic than him. It was hard to stay with those guys. So, I definitely think, uh, uh, to your point, that there's a need just because of, of their their scheme and, and how much they like to play that virus zone and how much they're going to ask that guy in the middle of the field to have to cover that space. So he's got to be able to run. Yeah, and that's something that we have to actually see people do, too, because I, I think um, one of the things that, that, you know, we get wrong sometimes is we see a guy have athleticism and we automatically think, oh, he can cover and that's not really the case. Um, you know, time and time again, we see athletic guys that cannot cover. It's, you know, there's there's a certain feel that you can. It's difficult to, to quantify. Yep. But like there are guys that they just can feel, you know, a, a receiver running behind them and they just flow to where that ball is going. And that's yep. some that's like an innate ability that some linebackers just have. You know, they some guys just have it. And it, it's not a, a thing about working hard or, you know, or athletic ability. It's just some guys just have those instincts to get into those throwing lanes where they know somebody's going to be there. Yeah. And that's and what C.J. had. C.J. Yeah. might not have had the athleticism to match mm-hmm. some of the guys, but he had a tremendous <clears throat> feel for Rouse behind him without having to turn and look. He could keep his <clears throat> eyes on the QB and still read the QB and still read the ball. But he could feel where those guys were. And what he might have lacked in athleticism to match up man to man with those guys, like to your point, he could get in those passing lanes. Right. And he could he could undercut those throws and tip a ball or intercept the ball. because He has such a good feel for where to position himself based on where that guy was behind him. And you're right. When you watch linebackers, particularly when you watch them in college um, and, and this is no knock on Kenneth Murray, but it was just fresh in my mind. And I actually have it on my notes on him is that's an area where I, I, I didn't see that a whole lot. Right. I see yep. that feel for understanding, you know, where those routes were behind him in coverage. It's something you can definitely improve at. I'm not saying you can't, but there is a certain amount of just kind of innate, and you said it, kind of innate instinctive feel for it that some guys just have, you know, and, and, and some guys, they, they don't, and they have to work at it, and you have to do other things to try to help them. Um you know, and, 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 and play to their strengths. Now, he's a guy whose athleticism, I think what you could do is just have him play more man. Maybe you don't want him spot dropping in a zone, but you just want him to match up right off the right off the line with somebody because he can run with anybody. Um, so, you know, you might have to use him a little bit different that way and maybe play a little bit more matchup principles 
in your zone because that's what they do too in their defense really their matchup zone you know basically is what they are if you think about it in basketball terms this is really what they do uh and so you know maybe you know if you had a guy with that kind of athleticism that's a way that you could kind of help him if he didn't have that that same kind of feel for for routes behind him but i'm with you i i definitely would like to see them you know have a guy who can do that so I'm going to get us back on track now. I'm going to get us back on track because it's the last the last thing that we had on the rundown to to talk about before we wrap. And this is why I took him out of position, because I think this is kind of like a catch all cover all kind of thing. The linebackers kind of still fit with the with the draft and free agency talk. Um, but this is just about the, the Ravens overall cap situation. We know from all reports that it's going to be better than it has been in the last few years. Um, it's still not going to be great. Like Eric DaCosta said at the combine, you know, we're going to have some money, but we wish we had more money. <laughs> so they're going to be in a better position that they, than they've been in in years past. They've always been pretty tight up against the cap. But they're still, you know, not not going to be in that top half of the league in terms of available cap dollars to spend. So with that in mind, and this is, this is, this is almost like a setup question because the Ravens have, have very rarely, if ever, did this. Uh, I'll, I'll start with you, Kerry, this time. Do you expect them to maybe make a bigger splash in free agency just because they have a little bit more money to spend than they've had in previous years? Um, and who would you like to see them sign? Um, let's 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 have some fun with this. Take it. Let's take it two ways. Let's let's take it just in an ideal world. Right. Uh, set the money aside just from a player standpoint. Who would you like to see them sign? And then, you know, we'll bring it back to reality and say based on, you know, market and, and, and what you think that contract might cost. What what player do you would you like them to, to you'd like to see them bring in a more realistic situation? Okay, well if you're gonna let me dream, then I'm going straight to Chris Jones. <laughs> if you're gonna let me dream, I'm going straight to Chris Jones. <laughs> I mean, disruptive guy, what is he, 25, 26 years old? I mean, this is like getting Trevor Price when we got him, but you know, at an even younger point. Yep. And um, you know, I, I think I mean, we talked about it earlier with the young defensive tackles in his draft and just kind of wanting to get to that point where um, you're creating pressure by just sending just the standard four-man rush. I mean, Wink is great. He's creative. He's exotic. He's doing all these things. But, I mean, sometimes you just want to line four guys up and, and just somebody get home. So, you know, a guy like Chris Jones and – you know, creating that interior pressure right up the middle, right in the quarterback's face. Um, you know, we've seen over the years how teams are prioritizing that and how much that bothers, um, you know, most quarterbacks. So, you know, uh, I'm going to step out of dream mode and I'm going to kind of look <laughs> at <laughs> where we are financially. And, um, you know, this is all um Courtesy of uh, our guy Brian McFarlane uh, at Raven Salary Cap on Twitter. Um, you know, for my money, the best He's cap the best. guy in the business. Simply period. one of the best. Yeah. So, you know, looking at his update, um, the Ravens are sitting at about twenty six point two million. Um, and that's accounting for um, uh, exclusive rights, free agents, restricted free agent um Restricted free agents, cap adjustments. Um, this is accounting for Tony Jefferson's release, uh, Chuck Clark's extension, Andre Smith's extension, and Jordan Richards' extension. So pretty much got us, you know, right up to date with, you know, where they are right now. Um, so, you know, when you look at that, 
26.2 and you figure 16 to whatever they decide as far as, you know, what Judon is going to be franchise tagged under, you know, that's eating at that, you know, right away. Um, you know, they can save, they can create, um, I believe it's two between two and six million with the Stanley extension. Um, but like we were just talking, Ronnie Stanley is sitting back like, Hey, I'm not signing <laughs> anything until these other two guys sign. So, um, you know, good luck on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got the option with, um, with Brandon Carr, if they decline that option, I believe that creates another six million. Um, that's tricky because, you know, I think his cap number would be what seven million. Um, but you know, is is he a seven million dollar player at this point? Um, yeah. He's versatile. I think he's important, and like we touched on before, his ability to play safety uh, creates some you know nice advantages for the Ravens secondary. Um, but you know that cap number can they find a, a, a number in the middle there when the Ravens can save a couple million in cap space, but kind of keep car hold and maybe, you know, put some incentives on the back end so he can try to earn some of it back, you know, something, you know, to that effect. Um, when then we got James Hurst as a guy, you could save 2.75 million releasing him. Um, you know, he has obviously the suspension, um, but, you know, where do they go there? You know, that might be one of those situations where they get in the draft and maybe they get a mid-round offensive tackle they feel comfortable with. And, you know, maybe they want to play and do some things after the draft financially. And, you know, maybe that $2.75 million, they can, you know, allocate that somewhere else. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect that, you know, per se, but, you know, that's one of those things you just never – you never know. Um, for me, as far as free agency, I'm kind of looking at the guys, retaining the guys that are that were there last year. Um, Josh Bynes is a guy that came in off the street uh, and, you know, did a hell of a job for the Ravens. You know, he's not going to win any, um, you know, races, but he's a guy that is instinctive um, and you can tell he studies, you know, he he plays at the proper angles um and you know obviously you know competes and and uh shares blocks in the running game um pernell mcphee we talked about him you know i don't know where he is physically and you know if he even still wants to play but if he does want to play this is a guy that didn't look too different from the guy that we saw before he left in free agency yep so you know he's another guy uh, I mentioned D'Amato Pecco before. I think he um, is a guy that can definitely give you snaps at that one technique position and give you quality snaps. Um, Jahad Ward, you mentioned, you know, multi-dimensional guy, um, you know, that that can give you value on the edge as an edge setter. Like you said, playing some three technique. Um, a, a, again, another guy that can give you kind of quality snaps. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I am with it, um, you know, more so, um, you know, trying to retain some of the guys that were there last year um, and then, you know, maybe finding some value trying to supplement, you know, through free agency. Um, but, you know, mostly just keeping the guys that, you know, really helped the Ravens get from, you know, a level where it was looking pretty shaky 
um, you know, defensively and, you know, they turned it around and, and turned into a top five uh, unit. Um, that's pretty much it for me, man. Is I mean, I, I see a couple value guys out there. Um, Taylor Gabriel just got released at receiver. You know, he's mm-hmm. the guy I think they turbo. They, yep. Can stretch that field. Um, you know, from the slide can give you something, you know, um, in the uh, jet sweep game and, you know, maybe, um, you know, add some things there. Um, this guy, I'm probably going to butcher his name, um, but he was uh, with the Eagles and he he was a linebacker that went on IR. But uh, it was Kamu uh, Gregaria Hill. Kind of an undersized guy, but he showed up big time for them, um, you know, in the middle of the season, um, was a good part of their run defense. And um, he's a guy that, you know, um, depending on what his situation is, maybe a kind of a buy low kind of guy. Um, I, I still need to kind of dig more into him. I looked at him a little bit and kind of like what I saw and, you know, saw him as a guy that, you know, maybe could be a potential buy low guy on um, on the free agent market. But, you know, that that's that's kind of where I'm at with it, mostly trying to retain the guys that that helped the Ravens get where they got defensively last year. Yeah, that's that man. You 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 bring some knowledge there. You dropping some names of guys yeah. I've not heard of. So I, I need to go and do my homework. But that's that's an <laughs> underrated point about retaining some of those other guys who maybe aren't the names that come, you know, that, that first come to mind. But. When you think about a team that went 14 and two, doesn't sound like a bad idea to keep those guys that help you get to that record. So <laughs> yeah. that's 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 kind of an underrated point. All right. Uh, so I'm going to turn to you now, Chris. So you got the same thing. You can you can you can you got your dream scenario on free agency where, you know, you don't necessarily have, uh, you know, the limitations that they have in terms of their salary cap. And then bring you back to reality. You do have those limitations and you know, who you think might be a good fit under that, under, under those circumstances. Well, I, I feel like they kind of, they kind of already had the dreams, almost the dream scenario with when they uh, re-signed Marcus Peters. Mm. Because it, when do you see, you know, top flight corners like that hit the market at his age? Yep. And, you know, they were able to, not you know, trade, you know, a fifth rounder and Kenny Young. But then they also signed him to a, a pretty good deal too, because it's, it's not like he reset the market or anything like that. He had that's a team friendly deal that he has. So that's like the the dream scenario. You got a good deal. Good you point. get a, a you know a great cornerback who fits your team. I mean, he brought a swagger that they haven't had in a long time. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, the the play speaks for itself. I mean, you get a pick six, you know, five minutes on the team, and <laughs> that's all you need to know about him. So I, I feel like he was a, a already the dream, you know, the dream free agent signing. And then um, as far as keep, like I'm with Kerry, man, like keep a lot of these guys, man. Like you mentioned Jihad Ward earlier and, you know, he Kerry uh, mentioned Pernell McPhee. It's like those guys like, yeah, they're not, you know, they're not going to be a 10 sack guy. But those are the guys that, you know, do the dirty work. Those are the guys that that you need on your on your team that, you know, they're going to have that vet savviness. And, you know, with I mean, we know that the Ravens are probably going to draft, you know, two, maybe three guys for the front seven in, in this draft. 
So that's a young team, man. You got to have these vets there that'll, you know, be able to show them the way. Because, you know, we saw Jalen Ferguson talk about how important Pernell McPhee was to him in his yep. in his rookie year. And, you know, that that goes a long way and that it doesn't show up in the, you know, stat box. But when Jalen Ferguson is telling you this guy is, you know, without him, I wouldn't have had, you know, the rookie season that I had. And, you know, that goes a long way. And like you said, this team went 14 and two. You want to bring a lot of those guys back because, you know, like we you know mentioned earlier, that team chemistry is important, man. And that that's something that's it's it's not always mentioned, but uh, it's important. And you, we saw it this year, you know, with Mark Ingram. I mean, I'm be the first to admit I wasn't over the moon about his signing. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't. I wasn't over the moon about it, but is this the same team if they don't have Mark Ingram? I don't think so. No. And that's just not even talking about his on-the-field play. It's just, you know, the locker room and the leadership that he brought. You know, those things are, are valuable, man. When It's a, a game played by human beings. So it's not just about talent. It's also about how these pieces fit together, you know, from a personal standpoint. And when you can keep the guys who you already know, that's just one less thing you don't have to worry about. Obviously, you always want to bring in talent and you want to have the best guys on your team. But it also has to fit together because, you know, as we've seen with, you know, the Steelers, when you have those cancers in the locker room, it can destroy everything for you, no matter how talented you are. So yeah. definitely keeping those those uh, free agents that you that you have on the team, keeping those guys, I think, is definitely important. That's a great point, too, about the the, the personality side of it and the, the locker room side and the culture side, because you're right. Mark Ingram, from a personality standpoint, you couldn't you can't imagine him not being on that team after what you saw last year. I mean, right. you know, people will look at it and say, well, yeah, everybody is, is going to, you know, have, it's all going to work out and it's all going to be a good fit when you, you win 12 games in a row. But remember, remember the Kansas City game. Remember mm-hmm. the Browns game after they yep. got rant over, literally rant over by Nick Chubb. And, the Browns. Yep. And, and, and remember, you know, kind of where things were at at that point. The defense, I think, had come off two games where they'd given up close to 500 yards, if not 500 total yards. But nobody was pointing fingers. There was yep. nobody out there at that point saying, well, you know, hey, the defense needs to be doing this or the offense needs to be doing that. Or even within the units, guys saying, well, this guy busted. Or this guy didn't do his thing or this guy didn't do his thing. You didn't hear that. You didn't see that. And that, that's really been a hallmark of all the John Harbaugh teams. I mean, he doesn't you really don't have you. you I, at least I can't remember um, pointing to a time where, you know, you've had that um, sort of speaking out in the locker room. I mean, obviously you have the uh, the mutiny uh, situation, <laughs> yeah, but that that was that was more between him and guys on the team. That wasn't necessarily don't, don't, guys. don't let Bernard Pollard hear you say that. That wasn't necessarily. Yeah, I know. I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> I see you're clear of that man. I want no, no beef, no smoke with that man at all on Twitter. Um, but yeah, that, that you you could see that that team had that right. Not not only you know did they they had that when they were winning, they had that when they were struggling earlier in the season. And so you know you it is so key, I think, to the success of a team when you have guys who trust each other, who have each other's back. 
who want to go out there and perform for the guy next to them, right? Obviously, they want to perform for themselves. They try to feed their families, but they also want to do it for that guy next to them too. And you can see that with you know, and we this is this has been about pretty much everything else on the team and the draft and free agency that we've covered. We we've only touched on Lamar a little bit, but you can see that with Lamar, right? When when yeah. he came in and when he became the starter, he he just raised everybody, you know, and everybody gravitated towards him. And everybody rallied around him. And it didn't matter which side of the ball you were on, right? The old vets. You look at Marshall Yonder, who who got behind him. And everybody, he just, he raised everybody's level, you know, and everybody believed in him. So, um, and that's that's not a comparison. That's not, a, I'm not even trying to make no comparison to Joe Flacco, because we ain't got to do that, right? This is, this is just Lamar. This is just looking at Lamar and looking at this team under Lamar and, and kind of what, what that team culture and that team bond has has been about those teams with joe and their bond and their chemistry they had their own thing you know uh and obviously it was successful at one damn super bowl um but yeah to 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 your point chris that is huge and yours too carrie because you both kind of echoed the same thing hey bring a lot of these guys back you know you had tremendous success with these guys and it wasn't just about what they did on the field so if you can bring those guys back, why not? And if you look at the cap situation, you, you kind of have to in a lot of ways. You, you're not going <laughs> to yeah. be able to get out there and do a whole lot of stuff in free agency anyway, which they never really have. That's never really been their MO anyway. They're always kind of that, you know, let the let the first couple of days, maybe even the first week or two of free agency, let everybody else get out there and write all them checks. And then, you know, you come in late and, and find some value guys who, who can really feel need. So I would expect that to continue. I mean, Eric DaCosta, you know, grew up under Ozzy and they're different in, in how they build the team and manage the roster. But I think they probably see that a little similarly, maybe about, you know, look, jumping out there and making a big splash in free agency and always, you know, the best way to approach it. So I think we'll probably see that. But. That's it, man. Some somehow I was able to get myself uh, back on track here with the rundowns, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll just throw it back out to to either one of you guys. I'll, I'll go to you first, Chris. Is there anything else you guys want to hit on? I mean, I feel like we covered a bunch in this episode, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll have some other uh, episodes coming out in the near future. We're not we're not gonna take a whole another season off, hopefully. But you know, <laughs> hey, life happens. Right? <laughs> I'm not gonna apologize. Life happens, and that's always gonna come first. We all family men, wives and children. Uh, so that's gonna come first. But anyway, anything else you want to hit on before we uh, we toss over Carrie and see see if he's got something? No, man. I, th- I I think this was a good a good springboard for our episode. You know, our return episode. And um, you know, I mean, I I think we could just as we go along, you know, we'll we'll build off of it, and you know, we we you know get it more in depth into players once we you know we all kind of kind of catch up you know with this the whirlwind that is the the draft because i know sometimes i start watching a player and i'll fall asleep and then the next day i start watching another player and i forget to watch the player that i i was watching the night before so it's you know as we catch up you know we'll we'll have more um on you know various positions and uh even you know with free agency coming up what's free agency like two weeks away Mm-hmm. So you know we'll definitely have a lot more to talk about you know as the, as time goes on. Yeah, let's 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 get into some tampering. Let's tamper with some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you, Carrie? Man, you got anything you want to add before we we wrap this thing? 
No, I think we um, hit on it. Like I, like Chris just said, I think this was a great um, episode to kind of springboard us back into this thing. And, um, you know, we've already been talking about ideas for uh, shows going forward. And, you know, obviously, as time goes on, we'll get more in depth um, with, um, you know, draft prospects. We'll get more in depth, um, you know, position by position as far as the Ravens go and, you know, how that looks for 2020 and, you know, going forward and, um, you know, we'll always tie free agency into it. And, um, you know, for the people listening, you know, this will be a Ravens, um, you know, centric podcast, but, you know, we're going to talk, you know, the NFL as a whole. So, you know, I feel like this is something that you can, um, you, you know, you can get quality football talk out of from X's and O's standpoint from, uh, team building standpoint um you know from a lot of different areas you know you know we got you covered so um you know check us out you know send us um questions uh you know rate review um you know you know that's what we're here for